Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Founder Hour podcast. This is your co-host, Posh. We've got a new episode for you today and we're excited that you made it here. Before we get going, make sure you subscribe to the podcast, give us a five-star rating, and then subscribe to the newsletter. Get some new updates from us, some exclusive content, things that nobody else has. And oh, one more thing. Enjoy the show. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Founder Hour podcast. This is your co-host, Posh. I'm Pat. And we're here with Susan Sarish, the founder of Suzy Cakes. And I have Felix here on my lap. You guys can't see me. Felix Special is guest Felix. dog. Um, just hanging out here. Felix, do you want to say anything? Nope. Felix does not want to talk. <laughs> Susie, thank you so much for having us and being on the show. Um, you know, we'd like to kick it off with your background and your early days and and then kind of move on to your journey and, you know, where you are today. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, where you grew up, how you grew up, and what life was like for young Susie. Okay. Young Susie uh, grew up in Chicago, and we had very humble beginnings. We were a blue-collar family. My dad was a firefighter. My grandfather was a police officer. And both of my grandmothers lived across the alley from each other. So their names were Mildred and Madeline. And because my dad worked the 24 hours on 48 hours off fireman shift, I spent a lot of time with both of my grandmothers. So I was very fortunate in that um, the time I spent with them, a majority of it was in their kitchens, Mm -hmm. as most of our grandmothers um, Mm -hmm. Spend their time there. And they were first generation immigrants, one from Italy and one from Poland. And their lives really revolved around making sure their families were well taken care of and that we had everything we need to be successful in this world. And that was a majority of my childhood was mm. spending time with both of them. And and were you spending time with them separately or yes, like separately? The yeah, no, that too. would be great if we had <laughs> we're all in one kitchen together at yeah. the same time. It was separate. It was separate. So I'd I'd come home and whether it would be, um, you know, when my parents dropped me off or coming home from school, there would always be a piece of pound cake or a slice of apple pie or the baking was largely done by the time I got home, but it was the time we spent in the kitchen sitting at the table over a glass of milk and somebody saying, how was your day? And then actually listening. Mm. Um, And I didn't know it at the time, but they were teaching me life values Mm -hmm. of how to be a nice person, how to work hard, how to um, say you're sorry, um, things of that nature. Didn't know it at the time, but reflecting back on it now, everything that happened over the kitchen tables, always over dessert, was about um, values. And and was cooking and like was was that something that was a hobby of theirs, or did they were they actually like in the like? Food uh, well, space? no, they were not. It was not. It was at a time when it, there, it wasn't really you know a business for for women to have, um, but they. You know, I think their their livelihood is being homemakers and yeah. you know washing clothes and doing the floor and and cooking was a large part of it. And also also with our um, you know ethnic backgrounds, you know, for both Italians, you know, and Polish people, it's it's always around food and there's mm-hmm. special food for every holiday and yeah. every We're you know, every yeah, yeah and every you know yeah. Sunday after church was always a special meal and you know everything had its time and place. Mm-hmm. So food was just a huge part of growing up for me. 
for for you was food something that you thought that you always wanted to be around even as you grew up or was it just something that you know like you mentioned was normality was like family it was you know this bonding between you know close people mm-hmm. i um i always felt joyful around the times we were having you know, not only the desserts at the table with my grandmothers, but when we had the big family meals and cousins would come over and neighbors would come over and there was huge platters of roast beef sandwiches, you know, but, you know, it just was constant. And I always liked being part of that. It was exciting to me to have people over and entertain. So my, my driver was around um, hospitality, right? Mm-hmm. More so than the cooking piece of it. For me, I, I knew that I believed that what I wanted to do when I got older was to be in the hospitality business, whether that was working in a restaurant or hotel or something. I knew that's what I wanted to do. And for context, like around what years are these like? Young, like starting at age four. Age four. Yeah. Um, And I don't know how it was at the time. Um, I guess you can speak more to it, but you, you had mentioned like when your, you know, grandparents were like coming of age and you know, it wasn't a thing for women to to start businesses around food. And and did you ever like as a kid think that that would be your career one day, like that you would get into something food related, or was it just something that you had a passion for? And you're yeah. like, you know, it's just part of my life, but I have my eyes set on something else as a career. Yeah, no, it was definitely what I knew I wanted to do, and I think my earliest memory of that is we used to, our vacations were in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. usually a holiday inn, like a motor lodge where the pool is in the parking lot. I say this and sometimes people don't know what I'm talking about, but with the chain link fence around. Yeah. And um, I would bring home the shampoo and the soap from the holiday inn for my girlfriends for sleepovers. I didn't even know what an amenity really was. I just wanted them to have like clean mm-hmm. new things when they came over to my house. Yeah. And that just continued to to grow. Um as again, we we didn't travel lavishly, but as we traveled, I liked like raiding. I would raid the lobby. Like I would do things that were very indicative of mm-hmm. a hospitality, you know, mm-hmm. career in my future. Mm-hmm. So my goal um, after high school uh, was to go to college and get a degree in hotel and restaurant management, yeah. which is what I did. So you wanted to get more so on like on the business side of hospitality, correct? A hundred percent. Yeah. Like I loved everything cooking was, but I liked the broader piece of cooking, which was bringing people together and connecting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you went to Cornell, right? That's correct. And from what I know, Cornell is probably one of the best, you know, program has one of the best like hospitality programs, if not like one of the very few in the country. Like when I searched stuff, like that was one of them at one point, I didn't see many hospitality like based schools besides Cornell. Um, You know, I assume that's why you chose it, but how was your experience like once you did get there and how was life in New York, I guess, different than, um, you know, Chicago? Yeah, it was a really big deal. Most of my friends I went to public high school went to state schools in the Midwest. So to, you know, go out of state was a big deal. And I had never been, we didn't even take a trip to go see Cornell. It was just when I got in, I was like, I'm going there. So the first time I saw it was when my parents were dropping me off there, yeah. um, which was a big risk. I mean, it was very much out of the box, like, where is Ithaca? What is this? Um, and I was just so honored to have gotten 
in and knew that it was something I wanted to do, um, I, I adored every minute of it. It was just, it was classes that were around marketing and finance and human resources and interior design and, you know, food service. And we had culinary classes as well, but it was such a well-rounded, mm -hmm. you know, undergraduate business degree, but focusing on hospitality was just I knew I had found my place. That focus is huge because I, I did an undergrad business too, but it was just business. Right. So like when you it, when you don't have like a focus, it's yeah. hard to like pinpoint what career path you're going to go yeah. down. Most people go into like finance or consulting or something like that. Yeah. Um, but in that case, you know, it's always yeah. nice that you have a it, Yeah. Focus. And every case study was like, okay, now we're going to go to the Marriott in DC and, you know, mm -hmm. look at how they're implementing cool. a new quality assurance program. And the, this other case study is about a restaurant in New York City. I mean, it was just spot on. Would you say you were a good student in college or even in high school? Like, did you like follow the rules in class and actually do really well or, or were you a little more yeah, like, rebellious? I, I'm by the book, Betty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know the reason I ask is because like a lot of entrepreneurs that we talk to, like they always say that for, for whatever reason they weren't good students. Yeah. Um, so I was, I'm just curious, like it's, it's interesting to like, that's, that's not really an indicator of like being a good entrepreneur. Cause yeah. you know, you, you, on the flip side, like being a part of a system and understanding what the rules are to be able to play that game mm -hmm. and do well at it is just as important. So, yeah. Were your parents supportive of your decision to kind of go into hospitality or were they a little confused as to why you would choose such a path? They were incredibly supportive. My dad, um, because he was a firefighter, he loved his job. And from a, the, a very young age, his mantra was just do what you love. I do yeah. not care what you do. I don't care if you go to college. Right. I want you to wake up every morning and be excited about what you do. Mm. So they were both very supportive. And I think they were thrilled that I got into an Ivy League school. <laughs> yeah. When yeah, when it came time to like graduate, um, did you have an idea of like where you wanted to work or what you wanted to do or did you were you yeah. just figuring it out? I did. I had um a clear plan that I wanted to work for really well known founder led businesses that had a deep culture. Okay. So um my first job was um with Hyatt Hotels, which is based in Chicago, and at the time mm -hmm. the Pritzker family was still running it, and Hyatt at the time, this is in the 90s, um, was at the forefront of doing many different things, whether it was their mm -hmm. suites concept or their long-term stay concept and, and everything else, and um, loved the hotel business. Like Again, once again, it reaffirmed this is what I should be doing. From the very first day, I walked in and got my little name tag and, you know, was the assistant restaurant manager, I was proud, I was happy, and I, I never wanted to leave work. There, like, Was there anything else on your mind? Like, People always talk about like opportunity cost and like, how do I know what I'm doing is like what's perfect for me or that I'm meant to do this. Like, Was that ever a thought in your mind or was it like, I'm for sure on the right path, I'm, I'm doing what I'm I, doing? It always felt right. Yeah. It always felt right. And I never through, you know, through from Hyatt and then I worked for um, – let Us Entertain You, which is a restaurant group out of Chicago, Richard Melman, um, very innovative restaurateur, um, or for uh, Ian Traeger Hotels, you know, just really strong, found, again, founder-led businesses. House of Blues, Isaac Tigret was still in charge there after yeah. he had um, left Hard Rock. So everything was about learning more mm -hmm. and finding out how to really 
build a culture-based business. I knew I wanted to do something on my own. It wasn't clear at all what that was. I right. mean, for sure, I didn't know. I didn't have Susie Cakes in my mind yeah. from the time I was 18 or 8. Like, it did not form until later through all my experiences. But my goal was just let me learn as much as I can, take best practices, and see where this goes so that when I do launch something, whatever that something is, I've got great experience. During the you know, during your time at Cornell, but also after, were you were you ever cooking? Like, were you actually yourself doing any sort of work in the kitchen? The cooking, I took cooking classes at Cornell, yeah. so my pastry classes were my favorite pastry classes. Yeah. Why is that? Because it it evoked the memories of being back in the kitchen with my grandmother. Right. So every time we made something, it just reminded me of those two women. Yeah. When that was but when you were when you were in college, did you think of it in that sense? Did you think like this is remembering this is reminding me of those times yes, with my grandparents? A hundred percent. Like and that was, you know, why I feel food is such a strong trigger for memory. You know, whether it's yeah. the smell or the like it can take you back to sure. a really great or happy time. And for me, those were really happy years. And those mm-hmm. two women were really the individuals who, when all life was unraveling and chaotic around me, those were the two people who brought me joy and calm. So obviously when you talk about hospitality, there's so many different like facets of it. Um, what about, I guess, what was the biggest part that you enjoyed the most mm-hmm. about being in that business? Like what working at Hyatt? Yeah. Connecting with people. So whether it was walking somebody to their table and hearing about why they were there, whether it was a birthday celebration or an engagement or, hey, like we're just out for a Wednesday night and we got a babysitter for the kids, understanding why people were there, what they were doing there. If it were people, a lot of business travelers came into the hotel, I would love talking to them about what their jobs were, they, where they lived. Um, it was It's the human connection piece. And I, I think that's... Um, such a special part about hospitality and travel and and going out to eat is actually feeling taken care of. Mm-hmm. So that was the piece for me that I loved. Mm-hmm. So you said you were at Hyatt and then you had a couple of other, did you have a couple other jobs mm-hmm. after that? Yes. What were those? So I worked for um, Let Us Entertain You for Richard Melman and um, that position I was director of catering at the Everest Room, which at the time was a mobile five-star restaurant. So it was a super fancy French restaurant, 800 wines on the wine list, 16 pieces of silverware at the table. But there I learned high-end fine dining and what that involved. Mm -hmm. At House of Blues, when I went there, what I learned about is live entertainment venue, huge parties, nightclub, totally different scene. And this is still in Chicago? This is still in Chicago. Yep. Um, And then my time with Ian Schroeger was out in San Francisco, and that was... um, in catering sales as well. But it was always in the food side, whether it was catering sales, room service, restaurant management, bar management, it was always front of house. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess at what point did, you had mentioned like you had thought about the, the idea of running your own business and, and that at the time you were just building all these skills that one day would help you out when you did. Um, when did that spark come inside yeah. you? Like, it, yeah. was it something that, I know you mentioned like it wasn't something that growing up you were thinking about, but can you like like think about, think back to why that, that yeah. inclination was yeah. even there? So a number of things happened. So I got the opportunity on this career path um, to open a restaurant in Portland um, with my now 
life and business partner. And he and I had this opportunity somewhere in the course here of my career. And I said, I want to do that because I want to own my own business. And I want to see what that's about. And I wasn't highly motivated to say, you know, a French bistro is what I want to do with the rest of my life. But I liked the idea of doing my own thing. So we bought a restaurant. We moved to Portland. Again, sight unseen. Yeah. Um, pretty big risk. Um, we thought we could be big fish in a small pond, right? So we were looking at a secondary market versus opening a restaurant in Chicago mm. or San Francisco where we had been. And um, it had a huge pastry kitchen. Like, So the driver for me was there was this huge pastry kitchen, and I figured we could open the restaurant, and then we could expand and have a catering line or a, you know sell cakes on the side or something. I knew there was something more there. I didn't know what it was going to be. And um, we opened in June, and... We hired a great chef, and we were doing 200-plus covers a night. Things were great. And then 9-11 happened, and we went to less than 10 covers a night. And this is an important part of the story because this is the failure part of the story where um, you learn humility, where you learn how hard you actually have to work to pay the bills and make sure you keep your lights on and make sure you're able to make your payroll and pay your meat guy every week. And so... Um, we had this drastic turn of events that we really didn't know when we were going to recover from, but mm -hmm. you know, we had a signed lease and we had obligations. And so we were going to make this work. Um, so we had to lay off a lot of our staff, which was, um, very difficult to do and really work every element of the business from coming in and starting to answer the phone for reservations at seven in the morning. Um, to doing, you know, to busing tables. And uh, I was outside on the street literally trying to get people to come in. I felt like, you know, in those restaurants in Europe where they hold the menu yeah. up with the pictures, yeah. like on the streets in Portland, it was raining. I'm like, please come in. And I was so happy when anybody even would come in to have a glass of wine. It taught me um, just this invaluable lesson of you can never take any guest for granted ever. Right, because we went from this massive waiting list, two-hour wait, full restaurant to nobody coming in, and you know, literally overnight things changed. And I said, I, you know, I will never ever take anybody for granted again. And every guest is the most important guest. So whether it's four-dollar glass of wine, I'm in, and you would feel like a king when you came in. And that that's a really important part of my journey. Because had I not had that lesson. And those were very difficult years that went on for a while. Um, I would have thought you open a bakery and it's easy and people come in the door. Susie, I might have missed this, but what kind of restaurant was it? It was a guess? French bistro. And you guys had bought it or? We bought the restaurant space Got and the, uh, the French bistro was our concept because there Got really it. wasn't anything of that in Portland at the time. Obviously, there was obvious reasons as to why there was that significant yeah. drop off during 9-11. But I mean, did you suspect at all that that would happen? I mean, were you able to even prepare for that in any way or not really? There was no way. I mean, you just, you couldn't imagine I mean, it was instant. going down. It was instant. It was overnight. And, and they weren't going anywhere or they just they were coming just to They were just going you? to more, you know, it was, they were going Reasonable. to more comfortable restaurants or things they had known or had been in Portland for a while or were eating at home. Like people weren't as people weren't open like, to like yeah, trying new places. Exactly. Um, so, where where in this journey is this? Is this like after you had um, – did you like leave your job completely and do this full left time? Left my job completely to do this. And what what happened then is we knew we needed to have – you know, when this went on for about a year and it came back a little bit, but it never came back to what it was pre-9-11, um, we started alternating um, 
working in San Francisco and working in Portland. So my partner and I split our time. So one of us worked Monday through Friday. That was me in San Francisco. That's when I worked for Ian Schrager at the Clift Hotel because it was easy for me to go back into the hotel mm-hmm. business. And then we'd swap on the weekends. I'd run the restaurant Saturday and Sunday. And um, mm-hmm. my so you partner got another would go, job. Yeah, I got another job. He got another job consulting on the weekends and he went to San Francisco. And we did this for probably about a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then literally one day, um, somebody, I was sitting in the office and somebody knocked on the back door and said, I have a buyer for you. Somebody wants this restaurant space. And I thought I was being punked. I thought like, I'm like where's Ashton Kutcher or something? Yeah. This is like crazy. Yeah. And he's like, no, I really have a guy who just has had his eye on this corner and it's nostalgic for him and he wants to buy it. I'm like, okay, let's talk. And we were able to sell the restaurant, be able to pay all our bills and, um, get out. You and know, it was more about the, even. It was more about the space for them, not the not the it restaurant. It was the space. It was the space. Yeah. yeah, they wanted that corner. So you were able to get out of the lease. So and, we were able to get out of the lease, which is when we both moved back to yeah. San Francisco because we both had jobs there. Right. And then that's really when I said, as difficult as that experience was, I loved running my own business. Yeah. Yeah. I, I loved everything about that, like doing the marketing and doing the hire. Like I just loved everything about being in control of my destiny as difficult as I was. That's when I knew I had to do something. And I guess like, I'm sure you've had more like time to reflect after that. Like what, in being in that position, like what was the biggest lesson or takeaway from running that business? Knowing that, you know, there are things that out of your control that mm-hmm. happened, but was there anything else, I guess, that were things that you were in your control that you, I guess, learned from and have been able to apply Yeah. Now? I think, you know, I think what was the, the things that were in my control were who, um, I brought on board in a hiring process who I wanted to represent the brand and myself and be an extension um, of me at the table and things of that nature. So I think that piece was really important. Um, and then the building, the relationships, not only with guests, um, but with vendors, right? Because when you're like floating bills, right, you got to make sure that, yeah. that your vendors can mm-hmm. look you in the eye and know when you say, I can't make it this Friday, but I'm going to yeah. do it next Friday. And they let you do that. That's a relationship thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And so those are the skills and the lessons I learned that I carried with me through Susie Cakes. And, and runs of people, really. 100%. And, and how old were you at that time when you were like running uh, the country? I was stroke? 30. 30. I was 30. And were you married at the time? Or? We were not yeah. married. We're life partners, but not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, at the time, like, I, I can imagine you're probably, I mean, did, were you feeling any, like, anxiety at the time? Like, you're, you're kind of at that age now where um, you're you're expecting to, like, be a little bit, like, further along maybe in your career. Sure. Like, yeah, everyone has friends right. at the same time, like, yeah. 30 years old. Um, like, did, were you scared at all? Like, what would happen? Because this, like, business didn't ultimately work out the way you wanted it. That I it gave yeah. me more of a driver to be successful, right? Huh. I said this did not work out, but I am not done yeah. with starting a business or being an entrepreneur. Like to me, it actually drove me to say, okay, you've learned all these lessons. What are you going to do differently the next round? So when we went back to San Francisco, I was immediately like, I got to get my act together and figure out what the next business is. And everybody was like, are you crazy? Like, you just got out. Like, you should be grateful. You need to, like, mm-hmm. get back in the corporate world and get yourself on a president, VP or president track yeah. fast um, and not even think about opening something mm. on your own. Um, but for me, it was like, I, I need to do this now. What was it about running your own business that you, like, were so sort of attached to that as opposed to, like... I can imagine most people would have taken that advice and gone back and tried to take a more like safe track or right. safe route. Right. What about it 
Yeah. I think, yeah. you know, I'm not adverse to risk. And um, I think the safe route was going back and taking a corporate job. And I think in my head, that was always going to be there. Whether that was at 30 or 35 or 40, I knew I could always fall back on that because I had a strong enough resume and education that if everything really imploded on me, I knew I could always do that. So as long as I um, was healthy and had the ambition and could go for it, I was still going to go for it. And it, it was at this time that the idea for Susie Cakes um, started to become very clear to me because um, through all this moving with my job and, and moving to Portland, moving back to San Francisco, I had inherited, both of my grandmothers had passed at this time, but both of their recipe card boxes of the three by five recipes. Um, so I was constantly being exposed. Every time I moved, I opened this box of the recipe cards and I always say, yeah, I got to do something with these because there is just no good baked goods, in my opinion, um, <laughs> anywhere I lived. And at the yeah. time when we, we, we landed in San Francisco, um, everything, uh, the desserts were super overcomplicated. So like um, a pineapple upside down cake was deconstructed. So mm -hmm. like the pineapple was on part of the plate and the cake was on the other part and the caramel sauce. I'm like, who wants this in 17 parts? Like give yeah. me the cake as it's supposed to be. Um, and everything was just overcomplicated. So there was an aha moment about man, I would just love to get a piece of chocolate cake with chocolate frosting made with five ingredients. And and the more I went out and was exposed to the bakeries there and certainly many great bread bakeries and French pastry bakeries, but no one was really doing kind of an Americana back to basics. So that's where I kind of started thinking, can I use these awesome recipes, you know, get kind of a back to basics um, bakery going. So that was mm -hmm. part of it. That was also around the time of when food labeling came out. So people were going to the grocery stores and they would see their chocolate chip cookies mm -hmm. in a plastic clamshell with 85,000 ingredients on that yeah. label. And I think people started waking up to like, I don't want palm oil in my chocolate chip yeah. cookie. Like, what is this? So the idea of this bakery where things are made on site from scratch and we're cracking eggs and we're using real butter, I thought would really appeal to people. So that was one piece of the puzzle. And doing that would also honor both my grandmothers, but really women of that whole generation, the greatest mm -hmm. generation who came here, did everything for their families to have opportunities, you know, never complained about a thing, never shared any of their own aspirations because their role was to take care of everybody else. Right. So there was this piece about honoring them. And then, you know, the other piece of the puzzle was really wanting to give women in food service um, progressive careers without having to sacrifice other areas of their life. Because what I had seen through my career is it was very hard to have um, a job in a hotel, restaurant, nightclub. You're, again, you're always working Christmas Eve, New mm. Year's Eve, Easter Sunday, right? All these are days when people are coming out. You're away from your family, so it was difficult um, to, to think about starting a family, um, or I would say, let alone have a date on a Friday night right. because you were always working. Um, so I saw a lot of really smart and motivated women leave the industry around the age of 30. Um, and, and the Susie Cakes, you know, business model is predicated on how do we have a business that doesn't have to be open 24 seven. And like all these pieces kind of came together for yeah. me. Mm -hmm. Susie, before we dive into that, one thing that I was thinking about is, you know, in like entrepreneurship, one of the biggest kind of setbacks that people have or one of the biggest challenges to being an entrepreneur is the financial security, mm -hmm. right? Like having the money to actually start mm -hmm. something. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of great people out there with a lot of great ideas who just might not have, 
you know, the financial backing to start their mm-hmm. idea or whatever it may be. You know, was that the case for you? And if so, kind of walk us through that. And if not, you know, how did you kind of get to that point of financial security to actually, you know, kind of go full force into mm-hmm. Susie Cakes? Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, when the idea all came together, the first thing I did was write a business plan, like a really thorough business plan, which involved, you know, how many cakes do I need to sell on Saturday? And how many cakes do I think I could sell? And going to bakeries and counting cars and counting guests. And like the the business plan was was dialed in. Um, so I knew what I thought the sales were going to be and what I needed to open. I had enough experience to know what it would cost to open from a construction, leasing, you know, all of those things. Um, and started thinking I could just go to a bank and get a loan. Like, I was very naive around that and went to bank after bank after bank who told me that Susie Cakes was a bad idea. Hmm. Bad idea. People in California don't eat desserts. I mean, People this is the are bank, bankers are telling you this? Bankers, yeah, yeah bankers. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I even went to the SBA, which you know their sole purpose. job purpose is to help small business owners. Yeah. And it was um, a bunch of men around a table. I will just, I will never forget this moment in my life. And one of them said, "Susie, baking is a hobby. It's not a business." Huh. I said, "Okay." Thank you very much. Um, which again, all of these people telling me. And it was this a bad is idea. where you're in San Francisco. I'm in San Francisco now, yeah. trying to raise money to open Susie Cakes in San Francisco, um, and was just told, "No bad idea." I mean, it was it was actually kind of crazy. Actually, where did you want to open in San? Did you have like an? Like I was looking. Well, so idea? what the challenge that came in San Francisco? I was looking for. You know, I knew that Susie Cakes had to be in a neighborhood where there were kids and dogs and private schools, and because yeah. it's it's you know it's a, it's a higher end product and a higher price point. So that neighborhood component and community was going to be really integral to the mm-hmm. success. So like Pacific Heights was my, you know, ideal, um, spot. Mm-hmm. So at the same time you're looking for, you know, yeah, a lease yeah. while you're trying to raise money, it's kind of simultaneously. And, um, cause getting a great lease and, um, the hurdle I had there was Susie Cakes was zoned as a fast food restaurant because we prepared food on site, but we had no table service. Mm-hmm. So I was grouped into like a 24 hour Taco Bell where all sorts of unsavory things were going on in the parking lot at night, right? Yeah. So any well-respected neighborhood had a ban on fast food restaurants, and yet we were zoned as a fast food restaurant. So after trying to appeal to the city to get past this... By that, do you yeah. mean that a lot of the property owners didn't want to give you a lease because you were classified It was as a zoning fast food? thing. They couldn't even let me in. It was just like... You can't be in this because neighborhood. Because they had restricted uh, It was restricted. Route. It was a zoning. Yeah, zoning issues. So that was a quick pivot. Okay, now what do we do? Right. Because this is not going to work in San Francisco with this zoning. I tried to start all sorts of grassroots appeals, and it was it, it became very clear after six yeah. months of me being at City And you Hall, still haven't raised money at this have point. Have not raised money. Yeah. Um, and um, my partner at the time, he was working down in um, Southern California. He was. We've always been in the restaurant business, so he was doing restaurant consulting in Orange County and said, hey, Suze, I think you should look at Los Angeles for Susie Cakes. Like, San Francisco is just not meant to be right now. I think you should come down here. I'm like, I've never even been to Los Angeles. Like, I don't even know what planet you are on right now. And he's just like, I think it's better to appeal to 8 million people rather than 800,000. He's just like, just please come down here, take a look. So I came down here and it seemed like a sound, you know, once I started seeing different neighborhoods decided, okay, let's give this a run in L.A. So he had a stable job, so I was fortunate enough that 
he was bringing in income. Mm -hmm. I mean, none of this would even be feasible if I didn't have a supportive partner. Um, And a lot of times people ask me, like, what's the single most important thing when you're trying to open your own business? Like, you just need one person who, like, A, he was able to to help financially, but who just really believes in you, right? Like, he could have said, like, this is nuts. Like, we just came off of this whole horrific experience. What are you thinking? Mm -hmm. But he was like, you've got to do this. It's like in you and you're drawn to this and this is what you're meant to do. You need to do this. So um, started looking for space in Los Angeles, which is when uh, we found the spot in Brentwood and it was a bike shop. It wasn't food service, but it was able to be converted into food service. Um, And it was right on San Vicente and it hit every um, cylinder form on where Susie Cake should be. Rich moms, private yeah. schools. Yes, those dogs, strollers, the whole the whole nine yards. And did yeah. that same observation yeah. that you had in San Francisco about just kind of like what was happening in the, in the scene there um, apply to LA at the time? Like you saw that same opportunity. Same thing. Yeah, same thing. I just, I didn't see kind of the home style dessert um, concept really in existence mm-hmm. here. I mean, there were many different bakeries, many ethnic bakeries, many very, very high-end wedding cake bakeries where the cakes were like three, four, five thousand dollars with mm-hmm. fondant and marzipan and very fancy. Um, and a lot of bakeries that were more focused on bread and savories. But no one really specifically carving out a niche of old-fashioned layer cakes. Yeah. You know? And did you yeah. have like any particular sort of event that you were wanting to like create around or was it just for any anything that people wanted it was just just around all of life's milestone moments like anything that you would need a cake for anything you're celebrating you need a cake for it's a baby shower it's a graduation it's an anniversary going away party coming home party like whatever it is there's always a cake like Mm -hmm. that to me was the constant here and that for me it was like of course people need cakes but again there were still many 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 naysayers mm-hmm. um and it became clear that i was not going to be able to raise money via getting a bank loan right. like that was became overtly clear so you've now agreed i assume to move to la right yes. so how is that like to come down to right. the city you've never been yeah, to yeah so yeah no connections yeah. nothing <laughs> yeah and your partner's in oc yeah, so he's yeah, not even in la right, yeah right, right. <laughs> So, um, but I was, once I got here, I was like, this for sure, like that, that this is a, this is where I need to be. And I felt so strongly about the Brentwood lease. The landlord did not want to lease to me, rightfully so. I had no proven concept, right? right? He could lease to anybody, right? With a name, you know, any coffee shop with a name, you know, any, any brand name, you know, at at the time. Um, And he was like, Susie, you're a nice girl, but you know, I don't know, you know, this is just, I can't take this risk, right? Yeah. This is my lease and you have no collateral. Like the whole, the whole <laughs> thing was nutty. Yeah. Um, and his building was on Wilshire and Brentwood. And I went every morning. I was so like, I, like I got to have this space in Brentwood because I knew the importance of location for especially a retail brand like this. And I fell in love with the space, which can sometimes be a blessing and a curse with entrepreneur. You fall in love with something and then you can't get off of it. But I knew this just what got intuition. This was a place Susie Cakes needed to launch. And I would go every day and I'm like, Michael, please. And he's like, Susie, no. Michael, like every morning, he's like, you are breaking me down. I'm like, I know I'm going to break you down. Yeah. And I would bring him treats um, and he would bring them home to his family. And then I think it was finally his daughter and or his wife who was like, you just need to give this woman a chance because she's so passionate about it like she will make it work right i believe that i don't know that for a fact but i think somebody influenced him beyond me so finally he's like you know great 
I will sign the lease with you. So did you raise money here? So what I, we did, the only option was um, friends and family mm. and um, literally cobbling money together. How much money? Take a check as small as $5,000. Like really? literally. How much did you need approximately to start, uh, start the business? Quarter? Yeah, I want to say maybe 200 Thousand was yeah. probably all in for everything mm. for the construction, the build out, yeah. working capital. Really important. Another mm. piece of advice I give to all entrepreneurs: make yeah. sure you've got enough cash in the bank to pay your bills for yeah. the first year in case you have another. Yeah. You know, and the reason I ask is because yeah. I think um, on the flip side, you know, when the, when it comes to the money equation, you know, I think a lot of entrepreneurs maybe like shy away from pursuing an idea just because they don't have that. But you know, in that range, it's like it's possible to just pull together money from, yeah, like yeah. I said, if you have an idea and you really believe in it and people see that, like yeah. you can raise that money. Um, but when we're talking like millions and millions of dollars for like, yeah. uh, you know, uh, an investment for like some sort of tech company or something, that's a little bit different. But, right. you know, in the few hundred thousand dollar range, like if, right. if you're if you're not, like if it turns you off and you don't pursue it, then you're probably not even meant to be an entrepreneur. Correct, <laughs> right. And you've got to be willing then that if to lose that, right? Exactly, However yeah. you raise that, you got to know, you got to, give mm -hmm. that back to the people somehow. Yeah. So it was just, again, a lot of breaking people down. I carried my business plan everywhere I went. I talked to my dental hygienist about her cousin mm -hmm. in Palm Springs. I mean, it was, you know, I was... Relentless. I, I was, yeah, I was just working it until we had enough money. I had my mom take out a second mortgage on her house. I mean, it wasn't super safe, but um, yeah. I had enough people believe, again, that if this all went upside down, that I had enough... Um, ability to get back on my feet and be able to pay everybody back. What made you so sure that this was going to work? A feeling. I mean, I just, I fundamentally believed that people in Los Angeles need a good bank. No. I mean, I just really thought that once people tasted this, they wouldn't want to go anywhere else for cake. I mean, you, they were so limited was like you go to Costco or you could go to the grocery store. There yeah, really wasn't yeah. a lot of places to get what I was offering, and um, I just strongly believed it would work. And it was it was yeah. all pretty much predicated on the feedback that you, you you know you had received from like your grandparents cooking. Your, your, just your me. It was me just knowing that these were the best cakes that anyone would have ever yeah. tasted. I just. <laughs> believe that. I had eaten so much cake and dessert in my life that I knew there was just so much bad cake in the world yeah. that good cake needed to be brought to the forefront. <laughs> you know, I say this with all due respect, but like, it does sound crazy, yeah. right? I mean, like you, I mean, you sound, you sound, like you sound like, you know, you were like borderline, like, you know, like crazy, right? But I think that, you know, when you think back to like great entrepreneurs, like, I think you need that. Right, like you need this, like really, you know, you know, crazy belief system that somehow you're gonna be right, yeah. right? Like it's it's not logical whatsoever. Correct. There's no logic involved in any of this, right? What made you that way? I mean, like yeah. your your parents weren't per se yeah. entrepreneurs, like no. your grandparents weren't entrepreneurs. Right. Like, I mean, what part yeah. of you yeah. like was that way? Well, the steadfast commitment it came from the lessons of my grandmother saying you can do anything you want to. You can do anything you want to. If you believe it and you work at it and you're nice to people, you can do anything you want. So that reel kept playing yeah. in my head. And I thought that I would let them down if I came this far with developing um, 
a, a business model and a name and a logo and a great location like that I would let these two women down who had done everything for me and I couldn't not see it through. And then again, this goes back to my partner who said, I would rather see you open this and fail than not do this because you will regret it the rest of your life. And I don't want to live with a person who doesn't see this fulfilled. Mm -hmm. So he, he was just like, whatever we need to do to make this happen, because it is so deep in you to make this happen, we're going to make it happen. So Ron, what year was this when you opened up that first um, store? 19... Um, So, so, so was Susie, wasn't it like, so six. Did, oh, six. Oh, six. Yeah. 2006. Yeah. 2006. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, but like, so this was right before, so I'm curious like how that first store went. Cause this was right before another market crash. Correct. Pretty much. Right. So yeah. explain to us yeah. like what okay. happened. So with that's that a first. great, yeah. I love that you are asking that question. Um, so we opened in July of 06, um, you know, opened the door, had no money for marketing, um, my whole strategy was to get as much Susie Cakes product into as many people's hands and mouths as I possibly could because, again, I knew once they tried it, they would be in. So, you know, first day you open, a few people walk in, what is this, you know? Um, and I'm like, okay, this is, a, people are just not going to come in the door. So, again, crazy person puts cupcakes on a sheet tray, goes out, there's always traffic on San Vicente. Mm -hmm. knocking on people's windows on their car doors. Mm -hmm. Try the cupcake, try the cupcake, try the cupcake. People are like, what is going on? <laughs> I was kind of hoping like a news yeah. channel would pick up on this, yeah, like yeah, girl yeah, passing yeah. out cupcakes in Brentwood. Yeah. Um, and knew that getting product out was important. And so very quickly, and part of the reason of wanting to be in a community where schools and kids and all of that was was important and part of um, – and part of the lifestyle was that you always need baked goods for fundraisers and black tie events and anything, any event you need desserts. Mm -hmm. So we donated heavily, no matter what it was, it was like the Girl Scouts need a patch. We need something for lupus. We need something for breast cancer awareness. And I just, what do you need? You need 200 cupcakes, great. You need a sheet cake for selling auction item, great. And gave heavily and everything grew via word of mouth. And the other um, thing that worked in our favor was that if you have a great steak dinner, you can tell people the steak is great, but no one tastes it. Mm -hmm. If you take a red velvet cake to a party, 10 to 20 people try it, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So that's where the quality of the product started to sell itself. And people started talking about it. I got to get that red velvet cake that I had at that party last Saturday night. And that is how I built the business. Very, very, very grassroots. Were you the one baking? No, I was not baking. Okay. I had um, an executive baker and a baking team who were executing on, you know, the recipes. Got it. And how long did you have that first location until you started, like, opening up more locations? So about six months in, I knew we were on to something. And about six months in, we were cash flow positive, which is wow. really very remarkable for food service. Yeah. So I knew we were on to something and that's when we started looking for the second location. So it was really pretty soon afterwards. Um, and we had received so much positive, um, press and just feedback from guests and people were like, Oh, we're driving from the Valley or we live in Malibu and it's too far to come to Brentwood. Mm -hmm. So that's when I'm like, okay, we need to be in Calabasas. I don't know why I got fixated on Calabasas, but yeah. that was my next. Uh, it's at the commons, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or across the street. Oh, across the yeah. Street. Across okay. the street. And um, so we started looking for the location there, and we signed that lease. 
and we were due to open, yeah, that December. And I think the crash hit in October yeah. about of 08. Mm-hmm. Um, and our business did not tank. And everybody else was tanking. And what was happening was our business was growing. And I believe it's because people were not maybe going out to eat for taking grandma to, you know, Ruth Chris Steakhouse for her birthday. So you're having dinner at home, but you still needed a cake, right? Mm, So our business, actually, the more people stayed home, you Mm. still needed a cake. People were still getting married. People were still graduating. People were still having babies, right? And the common dynamic goes back to this, like, life's moments, even through a recession, are still happening. Um, So... Our business actually grew, and that's when I really was even more energized about, okay, this thing is yeah. now really. And, and to open up that second location, did you have to raise money at that point? Or we were, were you yeah, just, we had to raise money. Yeah, and I'm sure there And we went back point, to the original investor group, and they were all stoked because yeah. we had paid most of their money back. Yeah. Um, so they were like, great. And then they brought in other people, right? Mm. Then, you know, like my uncle's cousin's brother was like, hey, yeah, you got to, Susie, get in on this thing, right? Yeah. So then people, you know, were opening up their checkbooks. And then that's when banks were like, want, then they were coming to me and I was like, no way, no way. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, I don't need you now. Yeah. Were you concerned at all with giving away too much equity where you didn't own a lot of the business anymore? Mm, no, no. I thought everybody who believed and supported it should benefit. I thought everybody should be along for the ride. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't overly concerned with having X percentage. Along the way. Was there like a moment, I guess, in those first few years that I, I know like you said that it was pretty much word of mouth and it was showing a lot of promise, six months cash flow positive, mm-hmm. which is amazing. Um, was there like one moment that you're like, this is going to take off? Like this is not going anywhere even before the market crash happened? Yeah, I think what kept happening was every holiday, and this was when I was working behind the counter, usually with like one intern from Cornell and one other person, right? Yeah. So I was, and we had a cash register. We didn't even have a POS. No. And so um, every holiday, I remember ringing more. I remember like Halloween was bigger than Labor Day and Thanksgiving was bigger than Halloween and Christmas was bigger than Thanksgiving. The Valentine's was bigger than Christmas. And every holiday, I remember calling my dad and saying, we beat the last holiday. He's like, Susan, you keep be- you keep beating everything. Like you are your sales are going up, like you're building your business. This is normal. This is what should be happening. And so I really, that, that was, there wasn't one moment, but it was just like every time we beat a sales record month after month, I I knew that we were definitely onto something. Mm -hmm. So um, besides California, besides LA, um, is Texas the Mm -hmm. only other like area that you have? So what, when did that come about? Texas came about, Three years ago, um, and um, we knew probably four years ago that we wanted to look, you know, we certainly nationwide expansion was always on my radar. I mean, I never opened Suzy Cakes to have one Suzy Cakes. My goal was always to have a national brand and um, a household name synonymous with celebration. Like It was always like the big vision if you will. And um, so we started looking, you know, identifying other markets. By that point, we had a lot of demographic research and started to do analytics around these things and um, plotted the country and said, what looks like all our successful locations in California? And thing generates like, here's 300 cities where you'll be Hmm. successful, Boca Raton, Greenwich, Connecticut, right? Like it's a lot of cities. Um, 
And then we had to say, okay, where can we have more than one? Like you can have one in Nashville, Tennessee, but you're not going to have five, right? Mm -hmm. So it was like looking at dense areas or where there was larger populations where we thought we could have more just from a management standpoint, mm -hmm. right, rather than having right. all sorts of stuff scattered around. And so Texas was our first trip with our broker, Um and this is a true story, when we got off the airplane, and I had never been to Texas before, and we were at the luggage carousel, and there was um, a guy trying to get my bag and saying, I'll take it to the curb for you. And I was very skeptical coming from LA that he was going to try to take my bag or something. And I was like, kind of like, no, I got it. I got my bag. And he's like, no, ma'am, I actually just want to help you. Right? And I was like, is this guy for real? And he walked it out to the curb and he set it down. And I was trying to give him a tip. And he said, no, I just wanted to help you with your bag. And I was like, wow, these people are really nice here. And I think I had gotten so jaded, um, you Union know, Brentwood. Yeah. <laughs> the, mean, that, the mean streets of Brentwood. That, not necessarily Brentwood, but yeah. Yeah. broader, yeah. a larger metropolitan area. Um, and, um, I was like, wow, these people are really nice. And the whole weekend kind of continued like that with a lot of like friendly people mm. and hospitable people and people asking about you and listening and wanting to know what your story was. And I thought this, demographic seems to be very family-friendly. Again, community-focused, family-focused, um, lots of celebrations, big families, big celebrations, big cakes. Everything is bigger in Texas. That's true. Like mm -hmm. somebody says, how many, you know, I have six people and mm -hmm. you say you need a six-inch cake. They're like, I'll take the nine-inch cake. Like it's just, you know, yeah. a, just a, a bigger is better. Mm -hmm. And I felt that um, they really would connect with the essence of Susie Cakes and our purpose is connecting through celebration that they just got it. And I just said to the broker, I don't think we need to go to any other cities. I think Texas is the place where we should be. Mm -hmm. and, and since we, then you have how many locations? So we six, have six now or five? Six now? Five. 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 Yeah. Soon to be six. Soon to be six. Um what's so you're so you're um sort of in the in that expansion process um are you like is that just pretty much what it is like lo looking for new cities or in areas to open up Susie cakes mm -hmm. and expand that way yes yeah nice. what's your role these days you know with having so many locations because it's wait six in texas or six total sorry five in texas yes and then how many in la uh total in the company is 27 and Got it's it. split all the way from and the california stores are from san diego up to san francisco so what is your role as in terms of the company? Like in, you know, I'm curious, like, what are you like as a leader? Mm. Well, maybe you should ask my team. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, um, you know, as a founder CEO, you wear two hats, right? On the founder side, I'm driven by the purpose and the passion I have and what I think Susie Cake stands for and making sure that we're always following our true north and not steering too far from what we do, right? We're very clear, very clear at Susie Cakes. It's old-fashioned Americana desserts. We don't do bread. We don't do croissants. You're never going to see a smoothie on the menu at Susie Cakes, right? Um, we do one thing, and you do it really well. And I have the utmost respect for In-N-Out Burger for that reason. There's a reason you don't get a fish sandwich there. There's yeah. a reason you don't get a smoothie at Susie Cakes, right? Very clear on what we do. doesn't confuse it to people. Mm. Um, so that the founder side of me keeps that you know, the, the, our compass in the right direction. Um, and the CEO in me is, you know, driven to grow the brand, bring more cakes to more states, figure out, you know, how we can have broader distribution, figure out how to keep simplifying operations, you know, so we can do things more easily. Um, 
And those, that's really what my role is these days. When you face any sort of challenges, you know, from a day-to-day in the company, how do you see yourself dealing with those? Um, I go back to, um, we have um, values um, of the business that I had from day one, and they sit on my desk. And when I'm making a difficult decision, I literally go back and I read through the values and say, is my decision based on these values. Is there like an example you could give us? It really becomes very clear. Um, Around a decision. Like a tough decision. Or like, it doesn't have to be a specific example, but more like a general like, you know, problem or issue that comes up that really kind of makes you sit down and think like, I really don't know what to do here. Like, and yeah. then you do go to your values. Yeah. Like, what is the situation? You know, anything that- of, um, you know, one of our values are we are good neighbors, right? So you could have a dilemma around, and that's a broader neighbor. It's like yeah, our yeah, literal yeah. next door neighbor, but it's our literal, our communities. Yeah. And if we're having a decision about, um, you know, where to allocate donations that month or things of that nature, um, making sure that we're consistently living that value. Yeah. And that's like an E. That's yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. a low-hanging fruit one on that. Sure. But but it's, but it's around that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Where do you see yourself and where do you see this company being in the next couple to three years? In three years, I see us expanding to the Midwest and the East Coast. And you think that at this point, it's more so just there has been like this equation and you just know exactly what to do and it's become easier to start opening these stores up or is it still a challenge every time you do open it? It's still a challenge. It's still a challenge to find the right real estate. I mean, that really is always a, a, you know, crapshoot. Like the demographics can say, yes, this is the right, you know, neighborhood or city, but you've got to be on the right block, on the right corner with the right access. Mm. It it really, I've seen that go both ways. So the real estate um, is always... Uh, still never slam dunk. And the human capital piece is really the biggest challenge also because it's a very labor-intensive right. business between um, the bakers and the decorators in you know, the kitchen. Nothing's being done by machines, right? So yeah. it takes people and it takes people out front to execute and sit down and help you plan your mm-hmm. you know what your wedding cake is going to look like. Yeah. So finding people who um, also have a similar, you know, value structure who appreciate connecting with their other people and making life's celebrations even better. That's, that's a challenge. You know, one thing I'm curious about is like, you know, you started this in 2006 and since then there's been a lot of different companies that have gone into the suite and, you know, bakery space. Yes. Uh, so there's a lot more competition, right? Um, how has Susie Cakes dealt with that? Has it even been an issue at all? And, you know, if so, what have those kind of challenges yeah. been? I just firmly believe as long as you continue delivering on the product quality and the service level that you will stay ahead of the game. So that's always been my mantra and it's worked mm-hmm. well for us um, and never letting either one of those things slip. Like don't try to swap out for less expensive butter. Yeah. Don't try to, you know, do the job with less people than you need. Um, Because you're going to sacrifice service. And I think people have come, our guests have come to expect to get both the quality of product and the service at Suzy Cakes. I love that because it's something I've thought about recently too. You know, I've seen a lot of new like burger spots pop up just around the city. And Mm -hmm. it's like, you you wonder, like there's so many burger places in town. Why are these places doing so well? And like you said, it's like they're, I mean, they're just paying attention to the quality Mm -hmm. and and they're providing something that someone else clearly isn't getting somewhere else. That's why they're, they're coming there. So, um, 
that's one way of definitely of thinking about it. So, well, this has been an awesome conversation. Um, you know, the just kind of like hearing about where the idea was, like before '06, and like where you are now. It's pretty awesome to see. So, um, thank you, yeah, thank you, uh, so thank much you for, for being on the show and sharing your story. Great.